0: God's people sin. Pastor Josh, two are better than one, aren't they? Lord sent Pastor Josh here about seven and a half years ago by himself. Things have improved. Worshiping together with God's people is, really is an unbelievable experience, an unbelievable blessing. The fact that we get to come here on a Sunday morning, gather together, participate in what we've already done, what we're going to now do in looking at God's word. I hope we never get over that gift that God has given to us. Every Sunday is special because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there are some. (laughs) For me, this morning, this is one of those, and there are some. You think about what we, the truths we have sung through together this morning. From the Psalms to Colossians to Timothy to Philippians to James. All of those, all these truths, I mean, they're like lifted right out of Scripture. What a blessing to be able to do that together and to sing of heaven, to be able to sing of the promise, and the hope, the peace. Of heaven. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Well, today is the third of a uh, four week mini series, kind of nested within our study of Romans, the Christian and. And we this year are focusing on faith on display, putting our faith on display, not in a proud sense in any way, shape, or form. But just living out the Christian life. Because that's really what Paul is doing here in, uh, it's not technically the second half, um, but uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans, heavy in theology and doctrine, and, and the church needs that. We need to have confidence. We need to be deeply rooted in the doctrines, the teachings of Scripture. We need to know what they say because there are plenty of people and plenty of things outside in the world that are going to cause us to question. We need to be able to run back to God's word and find here our anchor, our foundation. But the Christian life is not just about knowing stuff. Not just about feeling stuff. Christian life is about living. About living like Jesus. Allowing that faith to come out in what we do and what we say. What we don't do or say. And so this year we're we're focusing. On this theme, and Lord willing, we will uh, draw this study of Romans to a close probably in the late spring or early summer. Then we'll continue on some other series that will still take this theme and really kind of make it, bring it to home and and challenge us uh, to continue to do this because it's it's certainly what God's called us to do. But today we, we focus our attention in Romans 12, verses 17 to 21. The expectation of how the Christian is supposed to respond to an enemy, to an enemy, the Christian and an enemy. And so as we begin this morning, I want to read um, two complementary passages. The first is going to be our text from Romans 12, and then the second is going to be from 1 Peter and if you want to go to 1 Peter 3 and kind of put the Bible marker ribbon or your finger, hold your finger there and follow along with both, uh, that certainly would be, would be appropriate. Paul wrote on the subject, the subject of the Christian and, his enemy, and an enemy, uh, from Corinth, letter back to Rome, about A.D. 58. Peter is going to write his epistle four or five years later from Rome. About A.D. 62, it's not just a coincidence that these two apostles would write on the same subject to first century believers. Persecution was on the rise. These men were going to know it in their own lives in the coming years. Obviously, we know from the book of Acts, persecution is already present in the world against believers for their faith. And it was only going to get worse. Some of you have had the privileges my wife and I have have had of traveling to uh, some places. We were in Rome a number of years ago. We walked in the Colosseum. The Colosseum was built shortly after Paul's martyrdom. It was not there when Paul was writing. Colosseum served many, many purposes. It was, and it, I mean it still is, a pretty amazing structure. You can really get a sense of of what it what it was. Some of you have been there, but you can look down, they've got the some of it preserved and some of it restored, and you can look down and see the various levels in the floor. And of course, one of the things that happened in that place was the death of Christians. For nothing other than their faith. The Holy Spirit knows these days are coming. He stirs Paul's heart. He stirs Peter's heart and others to write on this subject, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond when that comes? Because it is coming. They needed it. We need it. So let's look together. Like I said, I'm going to read our text, uh, verses 17 to 21 here in Romans 12. Then I want to go over and I want to read the complementing passage in 1 Peter 3. Because, again, it just it's striking these two men years apart but the same theme. I think it will help really flesh out what we see here this morning in, in this subject. So Romans 12... Beginning in verse uh, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We turn back. To the back of the New Testament. To the book that we have, the letter that we have is called now 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 8. Peter now writing, Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Does that sound like something we've read in verses Romans 12 a few weeks ago? Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we, we come this morning to your word. We admit... That as we even have read from the hand of Paul and from Peter, these two wonderful apostles, their words strike us. The theme is inescapable. But, Father, we also admit it is so hard. To do as James exhorts us and to be doers and not just hearers of your word. Father, we, we need your grace this morning to hear. We are going to need your grace to go from this place in a little while and to live our faith for your glory, to advance the gospel. So may the Holy Spirit, may his power and his presence be very real to us in these moments. Take your word. Make it alive to us. Break through our resistance. Father, feed us with the truth of your word. and We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we begin... Thinking about this this morning, I've thought a lot about this this week. I dare say that there are many of us, many of you in the room, your perspective on how things are right now is very different than it would have been 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 years ago. Now the reality is this, as Western believers, or should I say believers in a Western culture in America, we have lived a charmed life. Let's just be honest about it. God's grace and mercy is without question. We have a unique congregation that there are some who are sitting here with us this morning who have, in fact, fled for their lives from their native countries and are here because of religious persecution. I've told you of the privilege that I had many years ago to travel to Hungary and to Romania shortly after the fall of the Iron Curtain and to stand in the pulpits of men and before churches who knew persecution, who men who I preached in their pulpit and felt so incredibly unworthy because they had just recently been released from prison for doing nothing other than preaching the gospel. We think we have it so hard. There are, there are some who have, because of their faith, found it difficult to do their job. I know of at least one case of of someone who they did, in fact, quit their job because the demands placed upon them were in direct contradiction to Scripture. Now that is a unique circumstance for us, for the most part, in our culture and our society. And we would do well to check our perspective on what is the reality for us in this moment regarding enemies. You don't have as many enemies as you think you have. This passage, this whole whole passage and journey through Romans 12 as we've seen it in the recent weeks is ought to be very enlightening, ought to be very interesting to us. You know, we've walked through the Christian and how he or she responds to and 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 ministers with those within the family of God. The Christian and the family. We looked last week about the Christian and community and and starts to get into a little bit about you know those that give you a hard time persecute you is the word and 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 the thought but we get that we we have some of that there's some in our community they just it's like why in the world they they watch you leave your home every Sunday morning and they're like well there they go again okay whatever (laughs) you maybe have conversations with them in the yard or at work and you, through that, communicate how your faith is impacting how you make decisions, and they just kind of look at you sideways. They don't get it. That's not really persecution, and those are not your enemies. Those are just unbelievers who don't get it. And, and Paul said, wrote in the, the, the letters to the, the church at Corinth, that that's how it's going to be. They They don't understand because... Living like this takes the presence and dwelling of this Holy Spirit. You can't live like this forever on your own, under your own power. You can't self-discipline yourself this much. (laughs) Don't fall prey to having a victim mentality. That is very easy for us as Christians. And here's why I say it. that day very well may come. Lord may let us live long enough to where we really do see it. Okay? This is preparatory. We may really need this in you know sooner rather than later. But don't fall prey to having a victim mentality because Satan is going to use that. I, I dare say he will use that to dampen your gospel fervor. Because if everybody is against me and woe is me for my faith and I'm just a victim, I'm not really going to want to talk a whole lot about my faith. I may be real good at imprecatory prayers but not so much about sharing the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit knows what we need. He knows when we need it. And really, I believe the question that is being asked and being presented, the subject that's being addressed here, is simply should Christians react or respond to antagonistic circumstances or people? Should we react or should we respond? I think you understand just by how I just posed that question. There's a difference. There's a difference between reacting to something and responding to something. Somebody put it this way. Reacting is an instinctive, emotional response to a situation. It is often impulsive, And can be influenced by our past experiences or fears. On the other hand, responding is a thoughtful and deliberate action. It involves considering the situation, weighing the options, and making a conscious decision. And I believe what we see here in Scripture is the Holy Spirit directing believers in how they are to respond to difficult or antagonistic people versus reacting to them. Reacting is somebody bumps you and you go, why'd you do that? Good, now you're all awake again. Responding is somebody bumps you and you go, oh, pardon me, I'm sorry, you, okay, you're, you're all right? Okay, no biggie. Our natural, and again, I appreciated the the definition the instinctive, emotional response that's reacting. We don't like to admit that we're still sinners. (laughs) And it's really easy for us to react. We have all experienced the pain some level of mistreatment or abuse from the world. You're not alone in your misery. The question is, how then shall we live? What are we supposed to do as Christians? Here we are. Again, wouldn't it be nice if the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, gone, into heaven? God hadn't ordained it to be that way. Jesus said, I got to go. You got to stay. But I haven't left you here alone. He sent the comforter. He sent the Holy Spirit to to indwell the believer. Knowing full well that these days would come. These situations would become reality. Reality. And Paul here has been drawing these expanding concentric circles, as, as it were. And the core of it, in verse 9, he said, you know, it talks about our heart relationship with the Lord. And, and he says, you know, that our love should be genuine, abhor evil, cling to good. And that's like the core. But then our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationship with those in the community, and now our relationship to the enemies, and we'll add another ring to this in, in a couple weeks when we come back to it. And so this morning, I just want us to walk through this very instructive passage. And, and you'll see here, as, as it pops up on the screen, that just right out of the passage, three phrases. Live peacefully, it's kind of where he starts, don't retaliate, overcome evil with good. Think about it for just a second, what it could be like if we all just lived that. Notice what it says here, notice what it said, what Peter said what side of the equation, upon what side of the equation does the emphasis fall? It's a mirror, right? God's word's a mirror. We, we don't look at this and go, okay, so these wicked people, here's how I see them. No, it reflects right back to us and says, you live peacefully. You don't retaliate. You overcome evil with good. Repay no one, he says in verses 17 and 18. Literally, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Remember when you were a kid, especially junior high, and especially if you're a boy. Remember that game, paybacks. You know, somebody do something, you whack and you whack them back. Paybacks. Paybacks are brutal. Far too many of us live with the creed of life. I don't get mad, I get even. Life is not to be a game of one better. And yet that's what we do many times. And we can rationalize it, we can excuse it all day long. We're very good at it. But that is not what God wants for us. That's not God's plan for your life. That's not God's will for your life. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I mean, he just takes like, you know, our eight or 10 verses we've been looking at the last two weeks, and he puts them in one sentence in 1 Thessalonians. Paul revisits this theme Again in you know from, from verse 14. Not only should we never curse them verbally, but we should certainly never plot an act of revenge. Notice what he says give thought to do what is honorable. Well, that puts a cramp in my plans. Right? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. How do we accomplish this? To give thought, we have to slow down. The Holy Spirit gives direction to our thoughts. We often talk about you can't control what people think, right? But isn't that exactly what the Holy Spirit's doing here? He's telling you how to think. That's his prerogative. Give thought to do what is honorable. When something occurs, when something happens, when there's been maybe some slight or some mistreatment, okay, I need to think about this. For the believer... To give thought certainly ought to be accompanied by giving it to prayer. Giving thought about what does God's word say about this. God's word says a lot. And then notice what he says in verse 18. Right? Perspective, balance. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on you, where is the burden placed? It is placed squarely on the heart, the life, the actions of the believer. Your responsibility is to make your part, your side of the relationship right. Now, we get, can get real pious about this real fast and so on and so forth. And, you know, well, I'd, but I'm not going to abandon truth. Not what he's talking about. But we can and we should go to great lengths to dwell in peace. There is the understood you here. I mean, he says it in verse 18, but... He is writing to believers at Rome, to the church at Rome. We know that's That's clear as a bell. And he says here, you live peacefully. It's your responsibility. Not only are we to live in peace, but he takes it even a step further in verse 19, does he not? Never avenge yourselves. Don't retaliate. Paul is going to hear very quickly, quote from the Mosaic Law, and the theme is addressed by others as well. But he, he, start, he, he quotes from Deuteronomy 32. God said to that nation and that generation getting ready to go into Canaan, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamities at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Paul is quoting from Moses. The song Pastor Josh wrote took Psalm 63, put it to music that we sang a few moments ago. David is doing that. Understanding, having confidence in God's ability, God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's awareness. When David wrote that psalm in in 2 Samuel 22, it kind of goes along with it, but David said this, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me. David writes this in his latter years after seeing God deliver him time after time after time. The Old Testament prophet Nahum said the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Listen, nobody can handle it like God can handle it. So let him handle it. Nobody can handle it like God can handle it, so let him handle it. My father brought us up in, in our years, and uh, he had this saying. He had a lot of sayings. He got that from his, from his dad, from my grandfather, and I know some of you think I've got some pretty crazy ones too. And um, it comes natural. But dad used to tell us, because we'd come home and we'd you know, be moaning and groaning about somebody picked on us at school or whatever the case may be. And my dad just said it this way, hey, it all comes out in the wash. It was just a real easy shorthand way of saying, God will deal with it. If you're in the right, God will deal with it. Let him. Don't retaliate. Because, of course, you know, we come home from school, we, we have a plan. We have been thinking about this since, you know, since study hall. Because that's what study hall is for plotting. Don't retaliate. You know, our current growth groups, we're studying David and Saul. We're in the passages right now, Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, 18 and 19 and Saul's trying to kill David I mean throws the spear at him twice you know David is now running for his life you know living out in the wilderness and caves and so on and so forth twice David has a chance to kill Saul to retaliate twice could have been done easily I mean he's already been anointed by by the prophet he already knows he's next in line. I mean, we can justify this. Let's move this along. The nation will be better off. It's mine already anyway. God said it. <laughs> but what does he do? 1 Samuel 24, David is in the cave at Engedi. Saul's hunting him with 3,000 soldiers. David cuts off the corner of his robe and he feels guilty for doing that. In chapter 26, he goes into Saul's camp. The spear is at Saul's side, remember, and David's servant, Abishai, says, David, you don't have to do a thing. I'll do it. I can do it in one blow. And David says, step back. Don't touch him. Don't retaliate. This guy has thrown a spirit at you twice. This is self-defense. David says, it's God's place to do it. Let God take care of it. God can handle it better than I can. So let God handle it. Lastly, the instruction from Paul gives us kind of the secret to peace in the midst of persecution and antagonism. He says in verses 20 and 21, essentially, overcome evil with good. These sentences are rather picturesque. He says, to the contrary, I know this is what you want to do, do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Note again throughout the chapter, the emphasis has been on the responsibility of the believer. We live our lives far too often by the motto, "Well, if they would, then I could." That's backwards. If they would be nice, then I could share the gospel. But they're so mean and ugly, I can't even share the gospel. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have that perspective? I mean, let's just get right down to brass tacks, right? I get it. The reality is we don't have as many enemies as we think we do. It just gives us some excuses. Notice what he says. He says in verse 21 as he's closing out this part of it. Again, I I think the next few verses of chapter 13 kind of go, but it it gets really broad. But he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One of my kind of preferred theologians commentators on this says this to withhold vengeance is one thing it requires only doing nothing but to actually return good for evil is quite another thing and isn't that what he's saying he says first of all step back think about it give thought how are you going to deal with this honorably but then he says okay now after you've thought about it what can you do to bless them That's radical. Paul quotes here from Proverbs 25. Solomon had written in Proverbs 25, 21, and 22, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. You know what Paul's doing? He's modeling for us what it is to heed these words from the book of wisdom. Sound familiar? <laughs> it's what he's doing. Here's what Solomon said. Now, I won't ask how many of you, but I dare say a fair number of you, you have read this passage and this whole thing. So in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You have looked at that and gone, I sure would like to. And then you thought, where in the world does that come from and what is that anyway? It just doesn't sound right. Theologians tell us, scholars tell us that this actually, and again, Paul is quoting from Solomon. So, I mean, this isn't like a, you know, something he dug out in the New Testament. This goes back, you know, long time to Solomon. Predates him. This comes out of an ancient Egyptian thing. A guilty party. When convicted, whether by their conscience or by court, of their their wickedness, their sin, the, the convicted party would literally take a pan of hot coals and put it on their head and walk around to show their remorse. And so what he's saying here is by doing kindness, by living peacefully, by not retaliating, by overcoming evil with good you are effectively doing that because it just makes them look so bad and and reminds them of, wow, what a terrible person I was to do that. Let the Holy Spirit deal with it. Because when we show love and kindness to our enemy and we go so far as to try to meet their needs, we, we shame them. People look at it and go, why why would you do that? I mean, come on, get even. But this is the reality. The evil in our own heart is much more dangerous and damaging to us than anything others could do to us. And so that warning, do not be overcome by evil. If I retaliate, if I react, if I do what I want to do, I am opening myself up to being overcome by evil. And it often comes in the form of anger and resentment and bitterness. And it's the road to ruin. Bitterness will only lead to a life of spiritual barrenness. You cannot be spiritually fruitful and harbor bitterness in your heart. Don't be overcome by evil. Easy preaching, hard living. Not really easy preaching either. (laughs) Because I know Any number of you could come up to me, and some of you may want to. I'm just telling you right now, don't. (laughs) Do what it says. Think about it. Maybe we can talk next week about it. (laughs) But, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know. No, I don't. Don't need to. But God does, and he already dealt with it. God does and he already dealt with it. Look, folks, I'm not not saying anything to you that God has not dealt with. I I preached through Romans for the first time at my church in Atlanta 15 years ago. 15 years ago, our church was going through some very, very deep waters. I, I have said to you before, there's a reason my pinky on this hand is funky and it folds over. It's because when I preached Romans 12, 1 and 2, the first time I broke it, because I came down on an oak pulpit and the pulpit did just fine, and my hand did not. As soon as I hit, I felt it go. And that was back in the days when we had Sunday night service. So I came to church Sunday night. It's all big and swollen. I went to the doctor the next morning, they took x rays. I said, Why wow, you crushed it? It's like in pieces in there. And she said, She said, What? what how, how did this happen? I said, Well, I don't know. I said, well, I'm a pastor, and you know. she says, well, what passage were you preaching? I said, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And she, the nurse looks at me, or the doctor looks at me, and she says, that would do it. We were going through some really deep water. And yeah, I would say, in that moment, I got in the flesh, in the pulpit. I got a reminder. Don't do it. There are going to be plenty of opportunities for this to happen. Maybe even this week. But the question comes down: if we're going to, if we've been told to live this way, how we're going to do it really comes down to the question of how much do you really trust God. Do you trust God to be able to take care of it and to be able to take care of you in the midst of it? David expresses his confidence in God in that that song we sang from Psalm 63. That's really what it boils down to. How much do I really trust God? And so we conclude chapter 12. But let's not forget that the only way to successfully be what we are to be is to live a life of self-sacrifice. And that takes us all the way back to verses 1 and 2. I'm begging you, brothers. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. It's your reasonable worship. It starts there. And we, we are not going to do all the other stuff. We're not going to minister with brothers and sisters in Christ and, and exercise the gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, live rightly in our church and in our community and in response to our, our enemies. We're not going to do it if we don't every day. Climb up on the altar of sacrifice. Who is that person that has tried to harm you? What has been your response? What do you need to do to change and apply this truth to your situation? Because God has given us this directive, God expects this of us. Why? Because he has called us to put our faith on display. Everybody can react. Everybody can get even. That's natural. But God has called us to put our faith on display. I don't know. God does. The Holy Spirit does. Jesus lived. Jesus lived this in his final hours, did he not? So much so that the centurion concluded, standing there looking at him, truly, this was the Son of God. Because he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, help us to take the truth of your word to live it. I know that as I stand here, as as we work through this passage, as we expound on these truths, as we exposit your word, this is really hard. There are people, maybe even here this morning, who, they're hurt. They've been wronged. Life is uncertain because of what others have done. But Father, you have brought us to this passage at this time. Father, you know it it was just the next set of verses. So Father, whether it is a current life situation or it is what is coming to us in the days ahead, We confess we need your grace to go and to live for your glory, to put our faith on display. So, Father, help us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior.